Welcome in to the Autzen Audible's post-game edition podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show, fresh off an exit from Autzen Stadium Saturday afternoon. 38-24 victory by Oregon. Um, was a game in which guys like Oregon played good, but there was also plenty of areas to clean up, and yet they had – 541 yards of offense. They outscored Washington State 28 to 13 in the second and third quarters. Uh, the Cougars were a combined five of 18 on third and fourth downs. Um, yes, they had 495 yards. And you know, as Dan Landing said, some of that was just scramble plays where you know, they had Cameron Ward for a sack and he eluded it. And then everything kind of breaks down and he made a play. And that's just football. Um, but a game in which there was a lot of attention on this team, how they would look after a, a, a tough three-point loss at Washington last week. And you know, we, we talked about it here on the show. We've heard about it, about you know how physical practice was. And you know, they had to tone it back a little bit. And you know, it, it kind of showed maybe a little bit during this game of just the lack of focus offensively with, I think, seven penalties. I think all of them were on the offensive side of the football. Um, but – Overall, this was kind of a, I don't want to say like a disappointing showing, but it wasn't Oregon's best. And yet they walked out of here with a convincing victory. It took a quarter to get there, but a convincing victory nonetheless against what I would, would call maybe the best four and three team in college football, Washington State, who was a lot better than maybe people thought coming in based off the last two weeks of their results. The reality is Cameron Ward is going to pose problems like almost nobody Oregon or other teams would face this year in terms of his ability to extend plays and throw the ball with accuracy. And like <clears throat> that's what was sort of both, I'm sure, frustrating as an Oregon fan because there were several plays that were the biggest chunk plays Washington State had where Oregon had a defender in the backfield or Oregon actually had pretty good coverage downfield. And yet Ward makes a couple of guys miss on his way rolling right flings it across his body downfield for a first down or a 40-yard completion. Like, that was kind of the recipe for success for Washington State. And that was sort of what we talked about on on Thursday's show on our prediction podcast of, like, why I was confident Oregon winning was it was going to come down to if, like, Ward could do that for four quarters consistently. And the answer was he couldn't. And so I know it's a 14-point game, a 14-point game aided by a late score. It was really a three-score game for, um, you know – before the last couple of minutes. And I, I didn't come away feeling like, man, they, this really exposed some things. Like, I don't think there's another quarterback that Oregon faces aside from Caleb Williams. And from, if they get to the opportunity to play him again, Michael Penix in the conference championship game, that can really put pressure on Oregon's defense in similar ways. And that can extend plays the way he did. Cause six sacks for Oregon's defense. We're talking about on the way out of, of Odson, like, could have easily been eight, nine, ten in terms of just how many times they affected him. And he was able to squirt out and throw the ball short or get the ball out of bounds. So some of that was Cam Ward, but I didn't think Oregon played a poor football game by any means. And the reality is when Oregon turned to its run game there in the second quarter, they just kind of ran away with this thing. And, and Washington State really wasn't able to slow Oregon's offense down once they kind of got a rhythm. Yeah, and like you guys have said, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't give Oregon here an A grade. And Eric, you'll have your team grade out tomorrow. I'm 
probably like a B, maybe a B minus. It was sometimes it seemed a little bit flat in the beginning of the game, but I think they rallied around eventually, like you just talked about in the second quarter where they started to run the ball. Uh, Bucky Irving and Jordan James were phenomenal uh, today. Obviously, Bucky Irving has three touchdowns, two on the ground, one passing, uh, back-to-back drives of 43-yard touchdowns. Uh, Jordan James had the, a long of 37. Again, really good, just hard to bring down, just what you expect from Jordan James. Um, and the rushing attack was something that we talked about a lot on the podcast on Tuesday and the podcast on Thursday and our predictions, just like uh, this team is going to be able to run the ball. And that's exactly what they did. They had the most yards uh, against a power five opponent this year. I'm not sure they'll ever get up to the 314 that they got against Portland State, especially with the defenses all along the way are coming up in this season. It's going to be very difficult. Um, but there were moments, but that, you know, at the beginning of the game where Washington State come out, they came out, they played hard. They, uh, I thought that they might have a chance of rolling over. Um, they certainly didn't. They played hard to start the game, uh, got out to a seven to three lead, or excuse me, a 10 to three lead at one point. Then Oregon comes back and ties it up. Um, I thought they played really well. I thought Cam Ward was phenomenal. I thought he was great tonight. Uh, there wasn't a lot that Oregon could do on some throws. Um, Specifically, like there was a 40-yarder to it was a Kyle Williams with 47 yards. You had Dante Manning draped all over him. It was just a perfect ball. Um, a lot of these were scramble plays that Dan and other defenders had talked about during the week of scramble drills and just trying to keep these guys in check and keep them in the pocket. And it's really difficult. I mean, Brandon Doyle talked about it all week where it's like it's hard to bring down. And we're looking to, to do better. And let alone, you know, he had a, a whiffed sack during the game. Um, he was just an escape artist. and He was really damn good at it. Uh, made really good throws on the run. Just kind of picked spots. It's very similar to last year in Washington State. When this offense is clicking, they're just kind of picking this the, the zones that you're uh, bad at. It's just like quick outs, quick slants, quick hitters, just all of the above. Um, but I thought the third quarter was when everything kind of changed for Oregon's defense. And that's where they outscored Washington State 14-3. to uh, I think they held them to under 70 yards of offense through the air. Um, they did a lot better. They had some critical third down stops, some critical fourth down stops. Um, I thought that that was more of an encapsulation of what it looked like. And towards the end of the game, Washington State racked up a bunch of yards, and that was when the game was well within the balance. And the only thing that mattered was the spread, which Oregon didn't cover for the first time this year. So sorry if you bet Oregon and the spread. It's a shame. But um, I thought the second-half defense looked a lot better than the first-half defense. And, you know, no duh, Jared. But, you know, that was something that was might have been a problem last season were some of the second-half adjustments. It just didn't seem or – didn't feel like there were a lot of adjustments made last year from the coaching staff. This year, it's, they've, they've made some good adjustments in, in a bunch of their games this year. Texas Tech, tonight, um, even against Washington, I thought that they made some good second-half adjustments. Um, this one you know, ends up in a win, and Oregon's offense puts 541 yards on the board for the second straight week. How about that? we got to start individually with Bucky. Um, mm-hmm. Unbelievable performance by him. I... I think even though it's not his career high in rushing yards, I don't think it's his career high in receiving yards. Um, nope, I have that. Not. It's not. Um, it's probably his best game. It's probably a career game. He was really good against Washington last season. Um, he was really good against North Carolina in, in the bowl game. Um, but we saw 
him power through for a touchdown on a short yardage game, goal line play. We saw him go like 43 yards for a touchdown on a run where he just made one cut and left the entire defense in the dust. And then we saw him also on a check down play turn a, a simple just, oh, yeah, no one's open. I'm going to drop it off to Bucky Irving, who was completely wide open. Uh, but I, I think one yard past the line of scrimmage, maybe, maybe two, and turn it into like a 44-yard touchdown, just straight right down the field for a, a, a big score. Um, his play changed the game, and I've gone back and forth on is Troy Franklin Oregon's best playmaker or is Bucky Irving Oregon's best playmaker? I don't know that answer, but I do think it's pretty evident now that this is probably Oregon's best one-two punch at the position, like Oregon's best receiver and Oregon's best running back. You run through the years. This is probably Oregon's best one they've had in a really long time. Yeah, now you got my, my the wheels turning there for me. I'm trying to think back to like who LaMichael was paired up with, who Kenyon. They didn't have a lot of good with. receivers back then. I mean, well, maybe you, Carrington you to... and maybe Carrington and uh, like who was the running back when they Royce. went to the national championship? Um, Royce or Tyner. Thomas Tyner. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you even had some DeAnthony Thomas yeah. mixed in with the Michael stuff and Kenyon. I don't know. It's a good it's a good point. And, and to the point of like which one's better, like I don't think it. I don't know if that's a question you have to answer because, like, the reality is Oregon has really, really good individual skill talent, and that's where you see them have success. And that's why, like, people are so frequently criticizing play calling that it kind of blows my mind. Oregon, again, finished with 540 yards of total offense. They lead the country. I don't know if – I think fans just have unrealistic expectations that Oregon's going to score 60 points and gain 600 yards every game, which, again, no one in the country does. This is the most – explosive offense statistically in the country and this was another game where they hit 540 yards they scored 38 points could have been more if not for a little bit better execution in the red zone this is why like if you're will stein you come over here and you go like we've got some guys to distribute the ball to and if whether or not it's troy franklin who quietly like had a pretty good day but was actually his worst game statistically of the season four for 79 that was one of the things we talked about in the lead-in this week about like Maybe Shaw Smith Wade kind of slows some of that down. Who steps up? Well, the answer was Tez Johnson. He had ninety. He had, I think a season high at least at Oregon. Yeah, ninety-four mm-hmm. yards at the touchdown. Um, but like this is where like Will Stein comes in. He's just got a lot of guys to, to to throw the ball to or to move the ball around to. You know, whether it be in the run game, whether it be in the pass game, whether it be down the field, whether it be underneath passes, whether it be he could he could fill in the blank better than I could in terms of all the different things he can do and. Again, I think that's what was so impressive here today. But also, like, just the fact that they basically went to the Oregon State versus Oregon strategy. I know fans of Oregon aren't going to like me bringing this up, but they didn't really throw the football to close the second quarter. And that was when they found some momentum because they just got to the point here where Washington State, which actually, like, started the game decent in terms of defending the run. I think it was, like, Bucky started, like, five carries for 10 yards. Like, they just completely ran all over them for the rest of the second quarter, most of the third quarter. And Bucky deserves a ton of credit. I think he's got a really strong case to be Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week. I'd have to go look around the conference and see who else is uh, having a strong week. But in a winning performance, it's hard to think there are going to be too many others that that have better games in this. Certainly. Um, yeah, Bucky was phenomenal. I thought that Washington State's defense actually did a really good job on Troy Franklin. I thought that they made um, 
Bo Nix's day harder. Uh, I thought that, especially in the first half, first quarter, um, Oregon wanted to take shots deep, and Washington State did a good job dropping two high safeties, uh, like basically double-teaming Troy, letting everything go underneath. And that's the the nice thing about Oregon is like what you guys are talking about. You know, Tess Johnson had 76, 76 yards after catch today, 94 total. So he did his part. Um, he caught a slant and took off for a 41-yard gain. He broke some ankles at other parts in the open field. Um, so, yeah, like I understand how sometimes the fans will be disappointed by the play calling, things like that. Um, but it's all about game planning around the defense. And I thought that Washington State's defense did a good job game planning around Oregon's deep shots attack attacks because that's what's been really working for Oregon. For as honestly as much as uh, Bo Nix has missed some deep throws, um, he was really good against Colorado. Excuse me, he was really good against Washington last week and throwing deep to, to Troy to multiple times to Troy. Um, he was he's been good. He just has these clear misses at points, but. That's a big killer because Oregon will just continue to draw you in, draw you in on these runs because they're going to get four, five, six yards of carry. And before you know it, they're going to be halfway down the field because you know, they're getting six yards of carry. you got to bring some extra guys in the box. And then suddenly they go deep. And it's, it's, I'm making it sound really simple. It's certainly not that simple. But to Eric's point, it's like they're 540 yards a night. They're 45 points a night. And I thought that they played well in offense. And this, again, yeah, was a day where they did not execute well on certain drives. Uh, Camden Lewis misses a field goal. That's three extra points off the board. Um, they had a shitload of fucking offensive line penalties where it completely took them out of the drive, where you start in the red zone, sure you did. start at, in positive territory, and you have boom, boom, back-to-back, -back, couple on a Johnny Cornelius, where it goes back to, I think it was like first and goal from the 24 at one point. Um, those things hurt. So I, if you take those out, then yeah, yeah, you could. I guess you can get to like fifty-two points or forty-eight or whatever the case may be. But uh, this Oregon offense is still going to fire on all cylinders. And again, even against Washington, um, five hundred forty-one yards. So I thought they played well. I think they could have done better. Dan was very clear about that in the post-game press conference. He said, "I know the guys. I know the quality and the talent in my locker room. I know that we can do better." Uh, we just need to find a way to go and attack it and achieve that better level. So uh, it's certainly like a no days off type of deal here for the University of Oregon football team. They got Utah next week. It doesn't really get any easier other than Cal a few weeks down the road. So uh, this is, you know, it's it's good to see that they came out and uh, played hard and played strong and played fast after the Washington loss. But, you know, there's still some things to work on, as there should be yeah. only you know seven games into the year. The criticism of the play calling. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me because even with the slow start that you referenced, they, they went field goal, missed field goal attempt, field goal punt their first three drives. But mm -hmm. the first two plays of the game by Oregon was like a 33-yard pass to Terrence Ferguson and then a 12-yard run by uh, Gary Bryant Jr. for a first down. And then they just kind of got off schedule by some execution mistakes that Oregon made themselves. Penalties. And then they missed, they missed, they missed the field goal. And, even the field goal drive that they had, they did the same thing again. They had like boom, boom, explosive play, and then execution mistakes. And then I can't remember the sequence of what happened in the punt, but let's just say that Cam makes the field goal instead of misses it. 
Their drive chart would go field goal, field goal, punt, touchdown, touchdown, punt, touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. What are you complaining about with with, with the play calls? I guess it goes back to Eric's point of just teams have this ex- – fans have this expectation that they're going to score 60 a game, and that's just not realistic, and the league is actually pretty darn good, and you're going to play some teams, and you're going to have some B-level performances. Like Jared's right. This wasn't an A performance. It wasn't even an A-minus performance, and yet their offense still rolled up over 500 yards of offense. They were still 50% on third down. They almost averaged 10 yards per play uh, in in this game. Um, Just some really good things when this is a down, air quotes, down performance by the offense. Um, Do we want to switch to the defense real quick and talk injuries? Because, A, let's talk with Bucky injury because that – Bucky first. That's the big one first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it sounds like that it was an injury scare, but not a lot more. We'll we'll have a better idea on Tuesday in terms of his practice availability. But Irving went down on I think about eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Um, kind of unclear exactly what it was. Matt I think thought maybe the ball kind of landed on where on his chest and maybe he got the wind knocked out of him. I have no idea. Um, but I saw Bucky leaving the game, moving just fine. And Dan said afterwards that he was on the field for the final snap and. Clearly, you're not going to put a player of his importance on the field for a kneel down, you know, in victory formation and possibly risk some weird thing happening to him. So I wouldn't be concerned too much with that. Again, we'll have a better idea later this week. But the big news, and I'll toss it to Jared to run into this because he wrote the story and I know was over there talking to him. But Justin Jacobs, finally, the long awaited debut. Mm-hmm. We've been asking about it. Fans have been asking, where is he? What's going on? I think some people at this point, we're questioning if he actually existed or if he was a figment of some imaginations, but he's a real person and he went out there and played quite well. He's real. Yeah, no, he uh, definitely is real. Uh, all six foot four, 245 pounds of him. Um, yeah, he played. He started on kickoff. He was on the very first play of, uh, from scrimmage on Saturday. And uh, you know that started his Oregon career. Uh, you didn't see him on defense until the second Washington State drive where he played linebacker for a majority of, of the, that drive, uh, switching between uh, – it was him and Jamal Hill. Um, and if it's any – if his performance today and his playing playing capabilities and his – honestly, his snap count is any uh, idea of what he'll look like for the rest of the year, get used to seeing him. He's going to be out in the field a lot. Um, I don't have the snap counts. I'll get them tomorrow. But I would wager he was either the second or third most used linebacker uh, today. And I think he honestly might have been second instead of Jamal Hill. Uh, He was out there a lot. He and Jeffrey Boss were out there a lot. Uh, He finished with six tackles, uh, one stack, uh, the fifth of the game for Oregon, I believe. And uh, I thought he looked good. Um, There are some rust things that I'm sure he needed to knock off. Um, I'll have to go and rewatch the game to really get a good idea about that. Um, But he's athletic. He plays sideline to sideline. He makes tackles. He's physical. He's the biggest linebacker in the room by a good amount, by like basically 20 pounds and two to three or four inches on other guys. Um, he's a different style of linebacker than other guys. But what what gives him this uh, opportunity to help this defense so much is his versatility. Um, in like his second or third drive of the game, he went out and covered a wheel route to basic perfection on a running back. Um, I thought it was really impressive to see that, especially picking up the picking up the running back out of the backfield, going and following him all the way down the field was great. 
Uh, and then the third and two run stop just comes up and stuffs a run. You know, Oregon hasn't really had, uh, you know, that this season. They had it at some points last year with Noah Sewell, just a bigger dude being able to fill some gaps. Um, and him, Jacobs paired with Bassa, I think is a really nice touch to this defense. So I was happy to see him out there on the field. Uh, Jacobs was really excited to be out there on the field. I asked him if he had like a highlight of the game, whether it be the sack or the third and two stuff or even the, the big hit on Cam Ward. Um, he really just said it was playing in Autzen, playing for the team he grew up being a fan of in Oregon. Um, and it was just it was good to see him out there because there had we'd seen him in the spring and then the fall camp. He said he had a, something with his foot. He didn't go into specifics, which, you know, that's fine. No worries. Um, that set him back. And he has missed, obviously, the first six weeks, six weeks of the season or six games of the season. And now he showcased his talents on uh, on Saturday. Um, I think he's going to be a main fixture of the defense moving forward. Uh, I was very impressed with what I saw, even though it was just his first game. Yeah, we'll have to see the snap counts and maybe the rotations that impacts it moving forward. We'll get a good look of him, I think, next week again against Utah. Oh, yeah. And that offense, he's going to mm-hmm. be an important piece to that program um, in that matchup. Who, by the way, as we're recording this, is up five at USC. Um, mm-hmm. They've all had a, a good run game, and that's where Jacobs will come into play specifically. Um, other injury news, we defensively, we saw – uh, Kyrie Jackson not play in this game. Um, Jaleel Florence was suited up in the first half, didn't play, which made you wonder maybe he's out. And then he actually ended up getting on the field in the second half. I don't know how much he played, but he was out there and he made some plays. Had a sack. Um, he played he sack. all of the second yeah. half, basically. Yeah. So, like, he's back from his injury. Both guys got hurt at Washington. Jackson. Um, I, I thought the DBs performed okay without their top corner. Um, they did have you know, Lincoln Victor for uh, Washington State set a pack or an Austin record for most receptions in a game with 16, um, and like what 170 uh, receiving yards, just a, a bonkers number. Um, they had some plays that they gave up that were deep shots, but. You also have to credit some of that to a dimes thrown by Cameron Ward and also Cameron Ward, you know, eluding a sack and creating something out of nothing. And this is the one of the few opponents that's that's going to happen to. But I, I felt like the DBs played solid. I, I, you can't say they played lockdown defense. They played terrific. They gave up 438 yards or whatever it was passing. Um, but they also there wasn't any glaring concerns, and that's kind of what you would hope to see in a game in which your top cover corner is just not playing. Well, and the other thing with Victor was he works exclusively out of the slot, and I thought it was interesting Oregon opened the game with Nico Reed, who's typically been probably your – probably has been your most frequent used coverage corner in the slot, and he was opening the game outside um, with Kyrie not available. Um, Jaleel, again, didn't play in that first half. And that's when Victor had all that success, and they had Triquez and Nick Nico on the outside. And a lot of the time, they didn't even have a – you know, they didn't have a third true corner out there like Nico would be typically. So I, I wonder if some of that was personnel-related because you just saw a ton of Lincoln-Victor matched up against either Evan Williams or against Tyshim Johnson or Steve Stevens or whoever uh, it was. And, and and they just went there over and over again and, and had some success, obviously. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't think the secondary played awful. 
Um, there were a couple of busted plays. There were a couple of plays where the Washington State players just made really good contested catches. Um, you certainly don't come out of this one giving up 438 yards, which we looked up before the show. That is the largest total from a Dan Landing coached Oregon defense to date. Feeling great about how the secondary played. Um, I also will, again, I'll have to go back and, and watch it again myself, but I didn't in the moment come away going like, oh man, these guys are terrible. Like Oregon's just getting torched out here by corners. It felt like there were some, again, some nice contested catches. And then there were some, hey, this is Cam Ward doing Cam Ward things. And they're going to throw the ball 50 times in a game with the level of athlete he is and the arm strength he has and just a, a decent collection of receivers around him. There's going to be some success out there. Um, I wanted to highlight the true freshman outside linebackers, but if Jared had something else he wanted to add on the secondary stuff, go ahead. Um, yeah, I just, I thought they were fine. Um, it's a hard team to cover. It's much different than Washington is where man to man defense can work at points. Um, you saw it work at points against Washington. Uh, Washington state is just, you know, it's, it's not the same as when Mike Leach ran it, but it's similar. There's just going to be a lot of yards. There's going to be a lot of quick hits. Like I said earlier, slants, out routes, all of the all of the small ones. And then occasionally they're going to take a shot deep. And a lot of these catches, Lincoln Victor is a good player. Um, he has been dinged up the last two weeks. Uh, it looks pretty, pretty freaking healthy to me now. Um, but he's a tough guy to cover. And slot receivers can do that. Uh, we've seen that happen against Oregon's deep Oregon defenses in the past. We've seen it happen against basically every team's defense where a good slot guy can really, really nick you and make it really difficult for you to have a good defensive day. And that's what that's what Victor did today. Um, I thought they were fine. There were some good moments in coverage. I don't think they really didn't let let anybody beat them deep to to steal a quote from Jeff Bossa, like butt free. Um, other than the the what was it? The double pass or like the flea flicker uh, where there was a drop along the sideline. Yeah. That was a pretty big play, but that was the only one where I really remember like, oh, that guy is wide open down there. He is wide open. And uh, everybody else, like Eric, like you said, uh, contested catches. It's kind of like basketball. Play great D. Sometimes the offense is just better. And sometimes that happens for Oregon and they get a contested catch and everybody's a fan about it. Uh, talked about what a great catch it is and not the defense, but here we are to talk about the defensive side of it all. Um, like Dante Manning and Nico Reed, they had some good good defensive plays, but sometimes the offense just wins. So I think they were fine. Probably, uh, Eric, I'll do your grades for you. It's probably a C plus, maybe a mm. C. Just, you know, mediocre. Okay. You want to write that down? Yeah. I just marked it over. Yep, I got it down. I'll remember that tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, my little cool. C plus on my notepad, which I'll, I'll remember what that means. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, no, I wanted to, because I, I think it's worthwhile to, to talk that out just because when Oregon gives up over 400 yards passing in a game, even though it's a game that they win fairly comfortably, it's going to be the topic of conversation. And I think rightfully so. I also think it's worthwhile to, to credit. And we've talked about this quite a bit this year, but this was their most impactful game. I think collectively the, the three true freshman edge rushers, Blake purchase mm -hmm. had his first sack. Mateo Uyunglele had his first sack also had three tackles had another tackle for loss. And Tatum Tuioti uh, had a pass deflection and three tackles himself. It's like all three of those guys are clearly going to be dudes. We talked about it already. They're already pretty darn impactful. But it's not like these moments happened at the very end of a game in mop-up duty. Like right. Both both 
Mateo and Purchase's sacks happened like while the first team defense was primarily out there or whatever, you know, while the key personnel players are out there because Oregon, you could say they have a first team defense, but they also play like 17 or 18, 20 guys a game with pretty high, you know, regularity. Right. And those guys are part of that rotation as they should be, as they're proving to be. And um, you should be really excited by what those three are doing right now. And I think even more excited by what the future will hold with those guys, with some of the other recruits that Oregon is either landed to this point or is at least like Elijah rushing, for example, five-star, one of the mm-hmm. top edge players in the country. Sounds like Oregon has a good chance with him. Like this could be, it's going to be pretty special in years four when you're kind of getting a taste of it right now with with those guys. I purchased a sack was really impressive. Just his closing speed on 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 Cam Ward was like, yeah, that's going to work. That's going to work at this level. That'll translate. So no, I I thought those three guys played well, and and it was worth acknowledging that. Yeah, when you have three true freshmen off the edge that are all playing as many snaps as they do, and mm-hmm. playing as well, they, they they deserve a little shine. I uh, I I really like purchase. I think he's top tier. He was one of my favorite kids coming in in this 24 or 23 class. Um, he needs to just work on his strength, but shoot, man, he's 18, 19. Like, he's going to get stronger as time goes on. And unfortunately, I didn't get to watch Mateo's sack because I was headed down to the field. So I got to go back and watch that one. But uh, he's been close a bunch this year. It's just, it's nice to see him get, him, get one. Um, and Tatum, that pass deflection was on a fourth down, third or fourth down. It was a big, big moment of the game uh, at the time. Um, and like you said, they're all, they're all dudes. Dan always preached like, oh, if you're if you're good enough, you're old enough. And well, these kids are good enough. And last year's group of players maybe weren't at the same caliber, um, but this is an impact caliber player already as a true freshman. I mean, all these guys are getting probably 15 to 25 snaps a game, just depending on the circumstances. So. Uh, and Dan talked about it. He said 15% of the the snaps on the year are from true freshmen. So a little seems a little high, but <laughs> these guys are good. And uh, I'm I'm excited to watch those guys develop and play over the course of the year. I think Purchase has gotten better almost every game. He looks like a quality matchup in any Pac-12 game for sure. Should should also point out that Evan Williams led the team 14 tackles, another really good game for mm-hmm. Him. Uh, he had a sack as well. Um, eight solo tackles. I think 35 of Oregon's 67 registered tackles were solo, which is kind of what you want to see. Oregon making tackles in space, not you know, not giving up an extra couple yards and Oregon having to rally to the football. Um, just overall, solid performance, like, like we've said. Like, they gave up a lot of yards. Some of that's Washington State's offense and the QB that they have, and some of that's just some good plays being made. But overall, you, you walk out of this 38-24 victory, Oregon 6-1. and one. Uh, They keep pace as one of the top teams in the conference. Uh, it should be reflected by that in the polls, which don't matter right now. But nonetheless, people like numbers next to names, and Oregon's will, will go up. And you go into a week now at – at Utah, who's in a dogfight with USC right now. It's kind of what you want to see, this game going back and forth, pushing both teams to the limits. Um, and you, you feel confident. I mean, it's at Utah. It's going to be a tough game. They always are hard on the road. Uh, they are talented. It's probably going to be near coin flip, maybe a little bit more one way or the other from a favorable standpoint, betting odds-wise. But 
you know, you, you look at this and you go in thinking this is a win very winnable game. There are minimal concerns from an Oregon perspective, you know, after this win over Washington State, and you're, you're just feeling good about where this program is heading after a tough loss after Washington last week. Yeah, we should say that part. I don't know if we really – I mean, they, they needed a get-right game. Certainly, there, as we said, there are some things that weren't fantastic, but, like, I don't think – I'm sure you come out of this game with a lot of things you want to work on, but also feeling proud of the effort. Like, Oregon proved why that they are still a top-10 team. They proved that they are very much capable of taking care of every game on their schedule. Um, I had two other things I wanted to point before we point out before we wrap ones really quick, and one, I don't know if we want to chat a little bit more, but uh, Patrick Herbert had probably the the – open field block of the year to this point on a guy who just was kind of on I don't go back, go back and watch the play. I think it was Devin Richardson do? watching State. Just, he he had no idea where the ball was. He had no idea where the ball was and he's just out here running and, and meanwhile Bucky Irving's getting ready ready to score a touchdown on a on a pass reception and uh and Patrick Herbert put him on his ass and Dan was a big fan of that play. The other thing was Camden Lewis three straight games now with a missed field goal. I don't want to make it necessarily bigger than it has to be but it has to be something we talk about because that's not mm -hmm. a trend you want to see and these are makeable kicks like not that this is a, a chip shot but it was i think 46 or 47 yards that's a, a range that should be within his range as a college kicker you should be able to make anything basically within 50 in my opinion um i think you're now in a spot where you would expect dan to continue to be aggressive on fourth downs in that part of the field because i don't think you feel fantastic sending him out there let's say next week against Utah in a close game and asking him to kick a, a kick a field goal probably like 42 yards or more like I just think you have to have a little bit of doubt now um, and, and credit to Dan for a giving him an opportunity on the first drive to go in there and kick a field goal and then an opportunity obviously the next drive that, that Camden makes was a chip shot this time but it, this is a trend that you don't like to see and, and we've all been very high on Camden but three straight weeks with a missed field goal is is really tough when you need all of these points. He's missed three of his last five. It's not, not great. Not great. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, it has to be somewhat of a concern now. It can't not be. Uh, literally, three of five is is bad. That's two of five that he's made. That's forty percent. That's a really good three point percent shooter. Not a good, not a good kicker. Um, but yeah, I mean, these aren't chip shots. You have to give Camden the benefit of the doubt. He was one of the best kickers in the Pac twelve. Honestly, the last two years, at least statistically, mm -hmm. last year for sure, um, he's made an incredible improvement into his game after coming to Oregon in 2019 and being the freshman kicker that, who, you know, coincidentally had the game winner against Washington State that year. Um, it's just, it could just be a rough patch, could be a slump. Everybody gets into a slump at whatever it is they do for a living. And Camden, Camden kicks for a living. So maybe he's in a slump there. Um, I don't, I don't think it's the yips. If it were the yips, I think we would all really know if it were the yips, like with extra points and things like that. But um, it's certainly not an encouraging sign. And his kickoffs today were much better, none that were out of bounds, anything like that. Um, so that's a positive direction. But yeah, it's just like I said, it's not it's not encouraging. Um, he missed it wide left. He had missed uh, all the other kicks wide right. So meet me in the middle, Camden. You got this. <laughs> Is he was 27 of 32 during the 21 and 2022 football seasons. So he's missed, you know, missed five over a two year period. Now in a three game stretch, he's missed three. Um, I agree with Jared. Like he's, 
It's not the yips. He's just probably in a funk, and that happens with kickers. Happens. You just hope that to get out of it, they're not relying on him to make some deep ones. Uh, you know, give him some short ones. They regain his confidence a little bit, and you know, get that back into groove and in, into sync for him. And because yeah. it's going to come up again, there's going to be a game. In oh yeah, this, in this season mm-hmm. where it it could be a three-point win or they could be trying to tie the game uh, very late in the in, in a big road game, maybe even next week. I don't know, but it's going to factor up and you're, you're going to need to have uh, him on this team and making field goals. I don't think it justifies a switch of kicker. There's, that shouldn't even be a conversation no, no, no. That, that happens. Yep, it's agreed. basically now going to be a okay. If we're forty and out, do we kick it or do we try and go for it? And it's honestly probably going to be a case by case, you know, situation. It's, there's probably not going to be a clean answer for that. Um, all right, I think that's going to do it for us here on this post game edition of the Austin Novels podcast. Again, Oregon wins thirty eight twenty four. Go to DuckTerritory.com for more full coverage of that. We've got multiple stories up from uh, that game and we'll have more up throughout Saturday evening into Sunday morning and afternoon, whenever you're listening to this podcast. Uh, Next time you hear from us, we'll be on Monday. So make sure to send Eric those mailbag questions heading into uh, road week on the road at Utah. Until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.